You're listening to the Nerd to Know Media Network. Join us at nerdtoknowmedia.com. Broadcasting from the Blanchistan Center. This is Phoenix FM. The internet is a communications tool used the world over where people can come together to pitch bad movies and share pornography with one another. According to the Nerd Index, you should be upside down in a junior high toilet around the clock. This is We'll do it live. Tide goes in, tide goes out. Never miss communication. It's over 9,000. My name is Foxy. The balls are in there. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Nerd to Know Basis Show on Spotify and Phoenix 92.5 FM. I am Kian and introduce yourselves in roughly alphabetical order. Hey yo, it's Bryn. And it's Kev. There you go. Yeah. No hesitation. Uh, Excellent. Not at all. Not at all. It's, it's solid. Uh, I also have to, uh, I, I do have to commend you on the way that you count yourself in, in at the beginning <laughs> of it. If my only note on it is, is that I wish you'd do a bit more of a Wayne's World esque uh, light up, lead up on it <laughs> with the hands. Oh, just go really? five, four, three. I see. So we're getting some behind the scenes info. My chair also just crashed down for some reason. Yeah, I'm pulling uh, the curtain back. No, <laughs> right, no expense spared here on their show basis. We are, we are truly professional. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, if you couldn't tell by our lack of show plans and. Uh, <laughs> You know, oh, a constantly rotating cl- cast of, of people. <laughs> what do you mean constantly rotating? There's like four and a half of us and usually three turn up. It's fine. Yeah. It's, it's still a rotation. <laughs> <laughs> Consistency. We wish we had it. Nerd to no media. Right. <laughs> Excellent. So sadly, Dara can't be here tonight, which means there will be no new installment of Dara getting kicked out of cinemas for increasingly implausible reasons. So we're going to do something radically different on this episode. We're going to cover the news first. So, Kev, would you like to lead with the news? Uh, And what a week to do it, because boy, howdy, there is not much news. (laughs) (laughs) Bear in Uh, mind, I am fighting a month and a half's work their backlogged news. So I know you have a story to believe with that. Incredible timing from us, as always, with our Uh, professional setup. (laughs) But But Daryl could show up at any minute. Let's just pull through this pretty quickly. Yeah, we can. Uh, Well, the headline that kind of piqued my interest was that apparently, for some reason, Hollywood have decided they want to get Michael Bay to remake The Raid, uh, one of the most critically acclaimed uh, foreign films of the past decade. And I see this and first thought, hey, Hollywood, you did this. It's called Dread and it was great. And second <laughs> point... And second point... 
it just it brings me up in this mind in like this mind of like why are why do they keep remaking these movies like it's never gonna be as good and all you're doing it is making it voice <laughs> uh, but uh, but as well as that i mean like anytime they've ever done this has it ever has it ever like reached the same level of acclaim or fanfare fanfare when like a, a, as the original had like i mean you know when they read it when they remade old boy i don't remember it being anywhere near as success i don't recall it being anywhere near successful as the original maybe the grudge movies were but that like they're probably the closest thing yeah ghost in the of. shell very similar like you know i suppose ghost in the shell is a whole other conversation <laughs> Oh, I agree, mm. but I'm just saying there's a market of people, again, like Cowboy Bebop maybe, where they haven't seen the original, they're not interested in the original, but if it comes out mm. in a more accessible it's, way... Considering, you know, considering how quickly... See, see what the fuss is, you know? Considering how quickly Bebop got cancelled, I would say um, people weren't interested in it. <laughs> yeah, like it's, Well, there it's, is a petition to get it back. It's hit like 100,000 signatures or something. Yeah. It just, for me, it just feels like, because, like, the only reason, the reason is obviously money. And I think a lot of these remakes, while mm. we'll get panned, will still make at least their budget back, oh, if totally. not way more than the small, mm. low-budget, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the rape is Taiwanese, right? Indonesian. Indonesian. Pardon me. Uh, like, then, like, admit, like, probably a pretty low-budget uh, Indonesian action flick. Uh would have so it is all money but it just it it seems to me like they should just be putting the resources into funding these uh funding these foreign movies that are starting to get traction and just using whatever budget they plan on remaking it into just advertising hey this really good movie actually yeah i i I don't understand why they can't just bring a dump truck of money over to tony ja and just go make something like the only, like the only, the only, the closest thing they're doing now is like, hey, hey, American populace, here's our friend Bong Joon Ho. You will know him now, and you will like him. Yeah. I say this, and five years from now, I'm cold calling it. They're gonna remake Parasite. Probably, yeah. Oh, They've so already remade. Actually, what am I saying? TV They've already remade Snowpiercer. Yeah, it's a TV show now. Mm. You know, because we you can't know, have they, nice things. Because, like you know, um, they they needed to cash in on on a remake of uh, of a remake of um, done by a South Korean person using a French graphic novel. <laughs> oh, there's a lot yeah. of Venn diagram levels there. Mm. But um, actually, Kev, I wanted to ask you about this because of the success of Parasite and Squid Game. Like, do you think that like because the, my thought around these kind of remakes and things is. They are marketed to a Western audience who won't necessarily go check out a Japanese anime or something just not in English. Now that these kind of non-English things are really breaking in in their own right, do you think these remakes might cool off? Or? Uh, I don't think they'll cool off. I'm still fully anticipating an American Squid Game in the next four years. Oh, much um, sooner than that. But I, I definitely what I'm what I'm hoping is that it's a, just a different trend of just these. Uh, of these just really high quality uh, just foreign properties uh, just breaking out and just because that's kind of just what this landscape needs like America's got a very homogenous 
um, media rollout kind of cut. Yeah, like there's like there's there's not a lot of variance. Everyone in Hollywood is playing it as safe as can be. Uh, so like it takes just kind of different cultures just to at least kind of put just a splash of something different. That's kind of why like mm. so many people go to anime over what was mainstream animation at the time because there was just nothing exciting happening there about 10 years ago. Uh, and now you have all these traders that jumped ship and went to watch all of this wild 80s anime. And Haraneo coming back, experience like uh, completely soaked in that with those experiences and now making really creative stuff in the US sphere. Mm. That's just that's just kind of what this needs. So I all, I all I hope is that this creates that exposure of just, hey, stuff from like Southeast Asia and just beyond all over the world is just great. Well, do you think there is a role for the remakes to play in? Because like we're we're watching Cowboy Bebop at the moment, the original. We haven't seen the new show yet, but we started re-watching it because the remake drew our attention back to it. Do you think there's a role for these remakes to draw attention to the original, even if the remakes aren't as good? For now, yes. What I, as I said, I think what what I hope for is as these original properties just get bigger and bigger and just start smashing all these records, um, that like you know, the people in charge of them just like realize they don't need to remake a property to get it in the hands if they just actually put the effort in and advertise right. the original property. <laughs> Advertise we'll this language like here academia or one punch man someday. I'm nearly I like it, it might have been like spam headlines. I'm nearly certain I've seen headlines kicking around. We're, there was fleeting JJ Abrams is allegedly doing a your name remake. So like oh my god. There yeah. was some fierce lens flare off that comet. Oh and it's hey, here's a hey, you know that movie that had an ending? Uh, it's going to suck now. <laughs> that ending <laughs> is not going to happen or it's going to be bad. Oh, look, it's going to be entirely possible. And... Moaning about J.J. Abrams, even though he wasn't relevant in the news. No. We'll put him. It's, I'm, I'm it's horrified, easy, it's we'll easy to kick, kick chunks in, in, J, in J.J. Abrams. Um, you know, would, you not be, would you not be concerned, though, that, like, we're pro- that like, there's also the risk of us going down having what happened with it happened in games where, you know, a huge like once Dark Souls got popular, the amount of the amount of pressure to make souls like games went massive and you just kept seeing new Dark Souls like new Dark Souls clones coming out. Yeah, that's 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 another thing. I think like you're probably going to see a lot of death game stuff and uh, well, I mean, I say probably he's going to see a lot more societal commentary stuff on Parasite, but maybe that's not a bad thing. Hey. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, like that's like Hollywood. Uh, we've known this for the, what, several decades Hollywood's been around. They never learned their lesson. They take the wrong lessons. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of death games coming out soon. <laughs> yeah, because how could you do like a squid game is a really interesting case squid game and parasite actually because they're so critical of these sort of elitist systems how could you remake it without that cynicism you know oh no you oh no they're going to suck it dry of any sort of uh social uh, pressure undertone and just make it of look hey big scary fun game 
uh, don't worry about the capitalist implications. We're just going to bury that. I mean, at the same time, it's not like um, it's not like they've shied they've shied away from the idea of having there be like class struggles in films before in mm. like a uh, popular cinema before. Like, I mean, it's very prevalent in the Hunger Games series, but you know, it it's always like it's always populated in a very specific kind of way to go well we're not the bad guys it's like you're funded by the bad guys though aren't you (laughs) i mean (laughs) like yes mass media does kind of have social problems and that kind of stuff in their stuff but like it kind of comes down to where the responsibility lies like the hunger games is an interesting one because it's not like adapting a very specific like world it's it's very kind of makey uppy and there's one dictator to be overthrown and obviously the lines get blurred closer to the end of the series but like it doesn't say why these people in sector 13 and these people in sector one are the way they are and how we got here but something like parasite and squid game they do Mm. like they very clearly illustrate that being in debt is not a personal failing it's a societal failing and even if they remade it in the West, I don't think they keep that critical that, that's, component. That's a specific. It's interesting because like, that, that is definitely specific. That is definitely a specific um, foible that would not be present. It would be there in subtext, but not. It would not be. It would not be on a direct, uh, literal level. No. Yes. I, yeah. Like, that's it's, fair. It, it's not because these both of these weren't created to appeal to a mass market. Both of these were simply created because that was just the creative vision mm. of their of their progenitors. Uh, and, and the idea to remake this is simply just to cash in on the name brand, cash in on like the knowledge that, hey, everybody knows this. So they're going to make it as widely appealing as possible, which means blunting as many edges as they can while still making it recognizable. Mm. Sorry, can I just check? Kev, is it still recording? Yeah. Awesome. Sorry, I just made you the leader in case um, my internet dies, which it does often. Mm. Um, But yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see what gets remade next, because I don't think something like Cowboy Bebop would have been considered a safe bet 10 years ago. You know what I mean? And even though we can like people complain about the remake, it is indicative of the it's an acknowledgement of sort of Japanese kind of stuff being a huge kind of cultural force now. I mean, you can suppose you get like, like it got a much bigger support and press than say like the Death Note live action thing got a few years ago, you know? Ah, uh, yeah, no, but that's, I think again, that's, that's just, that is, just, it is following trends that like with the massive rise of proliferation of streaming services and all of that, uh, like that's like anime is kind of like anime and a lot of that kind of creative South, uh, Southeast Asian work is just kind of coming right back up into mm. the cultural zeitgeist. I also, I also think that it's a huge part of it is that we like in terms of like how media promotes this stuff, it's gotten a lot better. Mm. You know, like, um, like when Death Note came out, there was in terms of like trying to get it promoted outside of like you know outside of like um outside of uh, sites that were already covering anime you didn't really see much of it 
you know, whereas like Cowboy Bebop, you would see advertisements for it on YouTube, which you did definitely did not see for Death Note. Like, and that's a huge difference in terms of like how much how much it was being pushed into the mainstream. And, well, I suppose you know, like I would us- say comparatively bebop has a lot more has a lot more to gain in terms of mainstream audience versus death note like i mean you're you're talking about something that can be basically seen as being a bit of a space western versus something that's very much a supernatural horror yeah that's that's fair that's that's a fair point but like i think the other development is that i suppose when death note came out netflix was kind of the only horse in the game Mm. as far as that and now there's a greater to be honest we've kind of come full circle and it is just tv now now disney plus and i know you want to talk about something on prime they Mm. all have to have a big signature show that comes out every pardon me every month uh to draw in your attention whereas with like if again if netflix was the only one there they could make something and trust that someone somewhere would watch it you know confidence from them of going well you've watched everything else on our platform mm. <laughs> you might as well you might as well watch this you know oh that's exactly it i mean like but i know you've got to talk about the specific prime thing which we're going to mm. get into now but uh i've been re-watching all the netflix marvel property stuff and it's actually quite a lot better than i remembered like the jessica joneses and daredevils and all that kind of stuff i was expecting it to be a little bit dated but like i mean like the, the 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 first season of Daredevil is still one of my favorite seasons of anything ever. Um, wow. I can take I can take or leave the other two seasons of it. Um, I love the first season, Jessica Jones. I love the first half of Luke Cage. I love the second half of Iron Fist season mm-hmm. one. I haven't seen the I haven't seen the second season for Luke Cage or for Iron Fist or the do you actually check them out? Sure. Like. It's really sad because they they get it working just before they get cancelled in that typical fashion. Like, you know, Mm. Iron Fist especially, like, you know, they just trim it down and make him likable and suddenly mm. it it was it's the best version of itself and no one saw it, you know? Because they were doing they did because they had like a major character point happen for him at the end of the Defenders, it kind of meant that they were throwing the first season of Iron Fist under the bus. Um, I would still say the first season of it, like uh, the, oh, what's his like, um, you know, his like uh, adoptive brother's name in it. I, I can't think of. Uh, oh, uh, the the kind of rival villain character. Kind of, yeah. Like I, um, the the guy played by uh, the actor who plays the master now by Sasha Dowan. Uh, Davos is it? Yeah. No, it's it's something like that. Yeah, that that dude is just he's so enjoyable in in that in especially in the second half of the of the show. Like he just become in the second half of season one because he just his character just starts to really go off the rails with paranoia because mm. and it's understandable. His dad has cameras everywhere, <laughs> and like there's this just this great moment where he starts flipping off the entire room. Because he knows his dad is watching. Oh, sorry. Are we talking about different characters? Are you talking about like the brother who was like born into wealth? Yeah. Like that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about the, the kind of the other Iron Fist disciple from a temple. Who oh, no, up. no, no, no. Not him. No, the. Um, yeah, his brother was born into wealth. The guy who's the son of. Um, 
of uh, humanity. I know what you're talking about, but that's Lord why I uh, I recommend series two because like mm. series two leads into the silliness of all of it. Mm. Like you have the evil sister from that rich family and Davos in league together, oh, and they know they're going to be villains. So like Iron Fist and uh, what's her name, Colleen, invite them over to dinner to try and hash it out, <laughs> which is the funniest thing ever. Oh, like, they just sat there with these, like, sour pusses on their faces, and they're like, try, try, try the pasta. Like, you know, no one else thought of it. Yeah, that's great. That's <laughs> so got, good. You've got Alice Eve as, like, from Star Trek Into Darkness as, like, typhoid Mary with her split personality kicking mm. around the place. Like, you know, it's just they fix it and no one saw it. And it's such a shame. Like, yeah, mm. the Defenders, like, I think everyone started seeing the cracks in the first uh, Iron Fist series. The Defenders, I think, put the nail to the coffin for a lot of people. Because I remember watching that and be like, okay, so this is just another Daredevil season. Uh, and the other three are just kind of hanging around. It's, I remember watching that and thinking, it was like, I love Jessica Jones. She is the main reason I'm keeping up with these series. Why is she actually in this show? Because she kind of just keeps showing up. Yeah. I actually really liked The Defenders. I just didn't. But it was kind of just at that point, it was kind of like a sunk cost thing of like, I really liked Luke Cage. Mm. I really liked Jessica Jones. I tolerated. They, yeah. <laughs> like th- there was you know? there was a feeling they were leading up to something and they kind of just never did. Well, well they, I, they, I did, they did learn up to something. this recently. And it's just like, the real strength of that Netflix verse was that you're able to have these kind of social issues in your Marvel entertainment, mm. and you're not going to get that much in the movies. And so the maddening decision to have, you know, a lawyer, a detective, uh, like a sort of a symbol of the community in Luke Cage. And, and a Kung a, Fu socialite. Yeah. Uh, yes. They are all going to use their diverse set of skills to take on ninjas. It's mm. such a waste. Like, imagine if you're up against, like, David Tennant's Kilgrave and you had to, like, have her doing her detective work and maybe they ended up in court and then, like, all their worlds and skills. But instead, they're just punching people, mm. you know? I, th- I think that's probably one of the, you know, as much as I loved the first season of uh, Jessica Jones, I think it's probably made, it, it was a bit of a misstep to have Kilgrave in it that early. It, it well, did peak it a little the, bit soon. The, there's so much they could have done with that character. I, I mean, I applaud them for the bravery of just killing him because you run yeah. the risk, which did kind of happen to Daredevil, of your villain upstaging your hero. Mm. Uh, but yeah. Uh, yeah, they just, they needed something. Because like there, there's loads of bits of the Defenders that's great. I love Jessica Jones and Matt Murdock hanging out. I love yeah. all their little all their scenes together characters mingling. Mm. Uh, Luke Cage makes Iron Fist likable. Uh, my my mm. favorite moment in the entire Netflix Daredevil verse, whatever you call it, is like Luke Cage sitting Iron Fist down and saying, "You're a multi-billionaire. What are you doing running around Harlem beating up kids? Go to your office. Use a computer. Go straight to the CEO of this company." And he does it, and it works. <laughs> like, does, yeah. Like, does he not have a brain? Like you have to remember, he was raised by monks. <laughs> like, <laughs> Punching is all he knows. Yeah, basically. <laughs> you know. Oh my! You don't God. call him Iron Brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, basically. 
but, but that's uh, what I mean though like that's what the why the, the defenders and the misusing of Sigourney Weaver and all that is such a shame because the stuff the important stuff works mm. I would say but it, it, it's even like I mean there's a lot of stuff in the like I mean I know in season two people loved the Punisher being being in it oh yeah and I I found on my second rewatching that's like it's his stuff is really compelling but it doesn't contribute towards what the season is going to close on. So yes. why is it there? Well, because I would all argue it's doing that is making the yeah. actual arc for the season bad. Yeah, <laughs> but know? again, that's the, that's the defender's problem because you have gritty Punisher stuff, and I love all that stuff. Mm. Uh, him being in court is like one of my favorite bits in that mm. whole series. But then you're alternating between that and Electra and the ninjas. Yep, and you're like. These these don't mix. No, no, not, no, not at all. No, Chagrin no. to you for thinking that this mass murderer is Hell's Kitchen's biggest problem, but no, the roving hordes of ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> and what does it culminate to? Punisher shoots one or two ninjas from a distance yeah. and then walks away. Yeah. It's, it's for him so... to show up in his own underwhelming series. Well, my work here is done. What do you mean your work is done? You didn't do anything. <laughs> didn't I? <laughs> yeah. But, oh, my God. Um, what I would say is that, like, um, on the note of talking about streaming services and, and shows, I've been catching up with the last season, with the final season of uh, The Expanse. Yes, you've waited long it. enough. Let's hear about mm. this. So um, it's worth noting that this is the last season of The Expanse, but it's only covering the sixth book out of nine in the series. They haven't announced what's coming next. There is a feeling there's something else coming. But what we're, so it's a shame because what we're, what we're dealing with right now is a fantastic science fiction series that most people have been sleeping on. Um, yeah, The Expanse is one of those weird properties. We've probably talked about it before where... Not many people I know have watched it, but everyone I know who has watched it loves the bones of it. Like, mm. you know, and like, so you go on. Yeah, I mean, like, it it just scratches a number of itches that you just don't get from other uh, science fiction shows. First of all, the scale of it, especially in the beginning of the show, is really is really unique because usually with science fiction, you get two scales. One of them is it's sci-fi. It's like a science fiction, but in like the not too distant future. So it's just entirely earthbound science fiction. So like think, um, like even though there are other planets, like Blade Runner, pretty much is an earthbound science fiction uh, thing. Uh, Fifth Element is uh, earthbound, but then like the other side of it is where it's just the other thing where like it's just interstellar travel. So like your Star Treks, your Star Wars is. Babylon 5, Farscape, so on and so forth. There was very few science fiction, very little science fiction, and especially very little in television stuff where science fiction is just in our solar system. That's true, because like it's now, I've only seen the first series, but mm. it's about the Earth and is it Mars, isn't it? And so, like the different communities of humans living around there. So in the, in the first series, you basically have like three main plots going on. Um, there's uh, Captain James Holden and uh, the crew of the Canterbury basically going from uh, going from out of the frying pan into the fire scenarios far too often um, and then what 
through what happens with them, it causes ramifications for um, things in the other two plot in the other two main plots. The other, one of the other ones is um, with a detective called Miller who works Speaking on of the Punisher, Thomas Jane and his yeah. wonderful hat. Yes. And his wonderful hat and his really nice haircut. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's based on Ceres Station, which is kind of like this asteroid that's been retrofitted into being kind of like a spaceport and like, um, you know, like it's basically a giant space station that loads people live on, but it's like a port and all this other stuff. It's really important economically for the, for uh, belters who live there. And then, um, he's got to do this whole mystery, this whole missing persons case, and that kind of plays out like kind of like a neo noir type thing. It's really, it, it's it's got this really classic vibe to it. it, and you know if you're not that into science fiction, that's definitely something that would be quite attractive about it because it is very different to what you would see in a standard, you know, it, it, what you might think of as being science fiction because like. You know, most people go like, oh, Star Wars or Star Trek. You don't really see murder mysteries with these <laughs> with those kind of scenarios, right? So it's it's kind of nice that it's there. And then the third one is with uh, Christian Avicerala, who out of the three principals would be my favorite character. She's just, it, it, it's really hard. It, it can be really hard to like, you know, sell a character being awesome. But Christian Avicerala is the embodiment of awesome. She's an amazing character in the, in the show. I think you know. because like here's the thing my my dad is been like is what the kids would call a stan for mm. the expanse has been trying to sell it on me for years and I truly keep meaning to watch it. I think is she so she's like the small Asian one with an absolute sailor. Yeah. 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 She um she was also um she played one of the um I don't know if any of you if either of you played Mass Effect. Oh, yeah. She was one of the uh, admirals in Tally's fleet. Uh, oh yes, yeah. I know who you're talking about. She's in loads of things, isn't she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She does. Yeah. Lo- she's doing loads, but like she, she's just she's brilliant. The, one of the other things as well is that like if you're looking for strong female characters, this show has so many different kinds. <laughs> so like, you know, especially by the time you get to like about three or four seasons deep, you have such a depth of like what strong women can be it's awesome um but like yeah so like basically with her then she's like dealing with the whole political thing because basically like you've got these three giant factions being uh being earth or the united nations mars or the mars congressional republican navy um and then you have uh the Belters represented by the Outer, Pla- Outer Pla- Planets Alliance. And basically they all have misgivings with each other. Like before the story in the, uh, the, the story in the books and the TV show started, Earth and Mars were basically going through this kind of Cold War-esque struggle. It kind of plays out a little bit similarly to how like, you know, the differences between Athens and Sparta are depicted in Greek mythology. Um. um and like, you know, you know, because of the way that they're go, because of the this arms race they've been having, they have to take resources from the belt, which means that the two of them are basically working belters to the bone, which causes belters to be like, well, we hate both of you. You're basically the same, you know. <laughs> and like, it's just it's really well, it's a really well layered and well thought out 
uh, show. It, it's really interesting because like the books themselves were written by two guys who were so, uh, assistants to uh, George R. R. Martin. Well, and I'm really glad you shows. actually, I didn't know that, but I'm glad you actually highlighted that. I think an obstacle to me getting into it is, as you've kind of illustrated, it's, it's such a complicated show to get initially. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, lot, it, like you can't elevate or pitch it, you know? Yeah, it, it's, it, it is a complex show. But what I would say is that like um, a lot of this stuff you kind of get through osmosis. Right. It's not really, it's not like, um, it, it's not a, it, like in both in, both in terms of the books and in terms of the way the show is done as long as you kind of pay attention to the what the characters are doing, the, the information flows through. You're not going to get, like, I mean, most of what I'm saying to you now, you're not going to get on, like, an initial viewing of it. You would get it on multiple views. Like, again, I've seen the first season a couple of times. I've read the book. I've read the first, you know, I've read the books as well. So I'm very used to it. But, there is, like, there is a lot of, like, um, there are a lot of layers to it, but in terms of like the main plots of it, you know, one character's dealing with the whole political side of it and it could be boring, except that she's, she has such a level of charisma to it that she's very compelling and she's able to carry her scenes incredibly well. If she, if anyone else was playing it, I don't know if it would be, would be as interesting is the truth of it. And because all three of those things are so unique, are so distinct and so clear, it really helps you to follow what's going on because you're never like, oh, where are they? Oh, okay. You know, because you can, you're able to go, oh, well, they're on this ship or whatever. He's right. on series because he's always on series. She's on Earth because she's always on Earth. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, just- like I did watch the first series and I know it's easy to follow in that respect i think it's got a similar issue i had to the dune series where Mm. you just there's that initial hurdle Mm. of so much it feels like so much to learn Mm. and then you have you have to break and then you kind of break into it and then it all kind of flows like i'm I'm, I'm imagining that putting off more casual people Mm. that's what it's like well that, that that's like i think that's like one of the major issues with um with science fiction in general, especially when you start jumping forward a couple of hundred years, because you have to kind of, you have to be, you know, people have like a, have their own notion of how the world is and you have to bring people a little bit further along in terms of your thought process on it. And that is, that can be a really challenging thing to do, mm. you know, and like, um, you know, I, I, like from having read the books and everything, I really think they do a really, really good job of, doing it and some of like the you know some of like the smaller details that they have in it are just really like um some of them are just really really clever small little uh, little uh, details like like uh, learning about like how like how mars was created as its own entity is really really cool but it you know it, it's one of those things where like I nearly need an expanse exclusive podcast to talk about that detail. <laughs> that's it. I got bad news for you. You've just made it. Mm. <laughs> that's the thing. So that's kind of just the thing that's entrenched with sci-fi is because it's like good sci-fi, particularly, uh, really kind of rests on just creating these really kind of just weighty kind of world-building ideals in this far-flung mm. fantasy world. Mm. You really have to just kind of go in suspending your disbelief and just 
like particularly with like really creative authors, we'll just start throwing, just making mm. words up. I just talk, so you kind of just have to accept it. And if like my my rule of thumb is, if I've made it two hundred pages into a sci fi book and I still don't know what they're talking about, then I'll just start wikiing things. Mm, absolutely, <laughs> kind of just have to because you either have to trust that they're going to explain it or just trust that you've got to do some research. Absolutely, and like I think, you know. I mean, I think that the, there's like two major pitfalls most science fiction falls into, which is they either get wrapped up in their ideas so much that all they have is ideas and they don't have anything else. Mm. Or they get so wrapped up in world building that all they have is world building and they don't have anything else. You know? I've, I, I, I had that recently enough. Uh, have you either of you heard of an author called Neil Asher? I have heard of him, but I haven't read anything by him. Good. If you like sci-fi, I'd say it's good. He's mm. definitely like he's one of these things where he's created this really rich, like all he's one of these authors where he's created dozens of books and all of them are in like the same universe, but they're all short series or individual novels. And the entire premise is it's a a, a far-flung galaxy that's been completely overruled by benevolent AI. Mm. Uh, oh and, yeah, I recognize the covers of these books now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um and like it's kind of just stories in that where you'd have separatists who did who are like human separatists who don't want to live under AI thumb uh, and various alien races kind of just off on the fringes of it and just kind of like a whole lot of series that and his main kind of his main original series is called Agent Cormac where it's kind of a Bond action thing where there's not a whole lot of plot but he introduced just some really cool ideas in it. The main antagonist, one of the main antagonists of this, are these four distinct kilometer diameter uh, fleshy planetoids that refer to themselves as dragon and speak in riddles and just travel I can from see planet why that would appeal to you, yeah. That's just awesome. travel from planet to planet and speak in riddle. Um, or how one of the separatists, because there's, there's, there's obviously AI robots called golems who can, like, you know, are either uh, for manual labor or for, like, battle and the separatists find one off the grid one who is entirely made of brass is called mr crane and has the brain of a psychopath and is an absolute <laughs> rampage murderer however he doesn't dressed in like a duster and an overcoat like a like an old 40s detective oh brain. i've got to be honest this does sound like one of your dnd campaigns kevin it just it like it's kind of that thing where it's got like this really like really cool things uh the plots are very standard in that, though. Mm. Or at least from the one I read. I've heard he gets a lot better when he kind of goes out of the fringes. Oh, well, if you've got that much weirdness, you've got to keep one thing kind of on the normal mm. side. Yeah. But it's I th- like it's one of those things, like, uh, is that, like, it can be very easy to lose people when you start introducing stuff like that. Like, and, I mean... With, I think one of the, that's probably one of the things that I really, especially more so with the books and with the show, is I really admire because like with books you can really just go into the weeds, but I really admire how like the book restrains itself into just giving enough detail to let you populate stuff and not go too far beyond that. Like one of the things it does a lot is it. It uses it, it kind of uses history as a backdrop to help you kind of push forward with it. Like the the in season four, 
of the show and it's in the book in book four as well like the villain of it is fantastic because he's basically like um the plot of the plot of the show is the in the show they're going they go to this brand new discover planet and one of the guys who goes there is basically um is basically like is basically like the the villain from pocahontas where he's like well law isn't here yet so I can do whatever I want. Jesus. Right. You okay. know, <laughs> like he's like, like law's going to come, but not right now, <laughs> you know? And, and that's like, for a villain to be like that is so interesting. And it just raises a lot of like, you know, uh, it just ra- it raises a lot of thought evoking. It, like it's really thought evoking and really, really enjoyable. And like, you know, like, when that's the kind of way that like that they present everything like there's a in, in the first book there's this great line where they say like you know you know it's like at the dawn of at the dawn of human race we used to throw stones at each other to defend to uh, to kill our enemies we're now in the far flung future in the now in the in the present day we're still throwing rocks at each other but now they can kill planets you know that's, that's a really cool that's a really cool way of framing where they're at like oh completely and like i will say between this and revisiting uh the anime cowboy bebop i've got a real appetite for like future stories where the future isn't quite cooked yet mm. you know what i mean like yours it's not now and the star trek we have ships it's like yeah. in that awkward in betweeny space where everything mm. doesn't quite work and in fact quality of life is slightly worse mm. where it should be better that's, like you know that's very much the idea one of the that's very much like a common thing in the in the expanse is that like you know it's like well we've, we're really far ahead but we're not done yet <laughs> you know and it's, it's really this cool. is not utopia we're no. we, we're running on duct tape and yeah. dreams <laughs> yeah basically and like, it, it's the fact that like so frequently the show the show and the book call back to history and it really helps like ingrain it in what it's doing because you can kind of see that through line for where it's going like you know, it, it 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 just makes it a bit. It just gives it that level. There's a level of like satisfaction in thinking about it that Stargate just doesn't match. <laughs> you know, is the way I kind of you know. Oh, not to cast shade on Stargate. I love it, but like it's yeah. it's just not. It just doesn't make me go like, oh, that's such a clever idea. You know, randomly yeah. in my day. Uh, if I can sidebar, actually, I'd recommend if you're liking Cowboy Bebop. Um, obviously, Shinichiro Watanabe, the, the creator, has gone on to do a great, like a whole slew of really, really great shows. Uh, I, if you, if you're finished when you finish Cowboy Bebop and you're looking for something, something more, uh, definitely check out his. I think it's his most recent show on Netflix a couple of years ago called Carol and Tuesday. It is. Oh, pers- was that about musicians or something? Yeah, it is set in the same universe. Uh, I think slightly later on, but it's a whole different scope where it's these two. Uh, struggle it's these two girls that like one of them is like a real kind of like uh like low class very urbanized uh black girl and it's like high class very princess of the pauper mm. uh come together and just try to kind of like just end up becoming this viral musical sensation and it's just this wonderful 
like it's got that same love of just like music and art that be- that bebop has mm. and just like ah i adored it i really really loved it uh, and the songs are just completely catchy and it's just whole kind of uh it's it's a rags to riches story and uh, just kind of basically set in the same universe if you're looking for more of that kind of of, of that very specific kind of sci-fi absolutely look at carol's Tuesday. yeah that that sounds great but like Excellent. I, I mean that's one of the things that's like been so good about the last like few years is that like it's really never been a better time for sci-fi mm. you know and like it's getting that kind of way for fantasy as well because like the wheel of time is now got a show you know <laughs> like i never thought i'd see that happen you know I haven't watched it yet but it's it's on my it's on very much on my list once i finish the expanse um but like how did that happen? You know? <laughs> somebody Thanks, somewhere. Yeah, like that's kind of it. Somebody somewhere remembers like, hey, I remember reading something in the 90s. It was sitting next to Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah. Let's get that a TV series now. Yeah. yeah, I'm still waiting for Joe Abercrombie to get discovered by some TV producer somewhere. It'd be horrible and Michael Bayish if you put it on TV, but it made for a great book. Mm. But I mean, that's, that's one of the probably the sad ironies as well is that like, you know, there are like, there are great books that probably deserve more time and appreciation than they get than the, than they currently get, mm. but they also probably just play better as books. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's true. I like, mean, I mean, we've got a Game of Thrones uh, prequely thing coming out this year with Matt Smith. Mm. Uh, that's based on the book you read, Kev, isn't it? The kind of uh, was it the Targaryen? It's the Targaryen that? lineage, as far as I know. I haven't, I haven't gotten much into research in that TV series because honestly, I keep forgetting about it. <laughs> but I, think, I, I think did. Most people have kind of passed by on Game of Thrones at this point. Uh, but I did absolutely read Fire and Blood when that came out because I am a sucker for that universe in its book. Mm. That's the thing. I'm a sucker for that universe as far as like George writes it because he's just got this way of writing and fleshing that out. And it is a 700-page tome of a history book that only covers half of the Targaryen lineage from when it began. And I ate it in a month. It, I was nice. absolutely my jam. <laughs> oh, my um, God. And now Matt Smith's in it, so something terrible will happen to the production <laughs> because, the because man that man can't catch a break. And everything he's attached to is cursed now for some reason, even though he's really good. Or for some reason, it will air at all of his scenes on the cutout. Morbius is postponed because he's in it. I don't know. The crown must have just like had some sort of holy relic protecting it. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I I, I mean, I think with the crown, I think what his his saving grace was that he wasn't playing Prince Andrew. So, like that. That helped him a lot. <laughs> oh my god, topical humor. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't playing Andrew or Diana. No. Yeah. Granted, like I mean, we could all do with having Matt Smith play Princess Diana at least once. Oh, I'm sure yeah. he'd be up for it. He's the people's <laughs> princess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm kind of thinking like I don't know if you've been watching like late stage um, South Park with Princess Kenny, but no. it's just Prince. It's oh, just Princess yeah. Matt Smith. <laughs> like oh, I played those Matt South Smith. Park uh, games recently. They're quite good. 
the yeah. one based on the on the, oh, the so old. Was it the PlayStation Three? It was PS Three. I think like it, they're good because nobody suspected a safe park RPG to be as completely robust as it was. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the the funny thing is, is that like um, Trey Parker is like massive D and D fan, massive. Ah. Um, like he. Um, he like he loved what Obsidian did with with Fallout New Vegas. And, with yeah. Fallout New Vegas and a few other games. So he was like, "No, we want to work with you specifically because we trust you to make a good RPG." Did Obsidian make Stick of Truth? Yeah, really. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. That yeah, yeah, makes yeah, 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 yeah. so much sense now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they did Stick of they did Stick of Truth, and um, they did um, the, the second one. Yeah. The fractured butt hole. Hole. Yeah. Um, on a five, guys. On a five. Yeah, yeah exactly. The fractured butt hole. hole. Say the comma. Say w. the comma. W, you guys. There isn't a comma in the title, but we have to say it separately because they're separate words. <laughs> um, like, they... Um, yeah, like, they... they um, yeah, they, they, they made Obsidian, but, like, they're, they're hand-picked because, like... Trey was like, well, I don't want... He was going like, well, I don't want to have a speaking character because I hate that in games. <laughs> like, you know, so a huge amount of, like, um, a huge amount of, like, what... Uh, um, of stuff that was put into it was purely because he, he was going like, I don't like when they do that in games. I don't like when that happens, blah, 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 blah. And then, like, they just wrote jokes based off of that. And he said, like, I think that they're... I think the original script was something like a thousand pages. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah. You know, uh... Like it is just basically an interactive similar. Like compare that to the likes of like some of the Simpsons games and Family mm. Guy games, where they are just platformers with mm. jokes, you know. But even like I mean, earlier South Park games were like that as, t- as well, and like <laughs> the two. There were earlier South Park games. Oh yeah, South Park had South Park had a first person shooter on the PlayStation One, mm. and oh it is my God. surreal. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what would the graphics even be like? Ooh, sweet, sweet polygons. Yeah. <laughs> Look at That's those fucking... turkeys. See how many edges it has. Yeah. <laughs> I know this up. It's a hexagon or a triangle. <laughs> you decide. <laughs> oh yeah. my goodness! Like, Excellent. But like, I mean, that's the way. South. Like, I mean, like South Park. Um, like those games, I, I kind of, I really enjoyed the gameplay of them, but I kind of got bored by them a lot. Especially, like I mean, I found like they're only really good for one playthrough, and then. Are you talking about the newer ones now? The newer ones, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I did, I will admit, I did kind of the novelty of like the stick of truth wore off after a little while. Mm. Uh, I, I'm going to try the superhero one soon as well. My yeah. God, G- gameplay wise, polygons for days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You like, love to see Cartman. It. <laughs> I mean, you never look good, but you look rough. Yeah, three like the, dimensions. <laughs> for, the, for the second one, Kane, the the combat does get better. Definitely, okay. It become uh, they they definitely improved it a lot. Mm. Um, the boss fights in it are really like some of the boss fights in it are really f- fantastic, but they can be some of them are very frustrating because like basically like every they they came up with a with um like this turn based uh this turn based rule set for how combat works and then like every boss subverts that in some kind of way um and some of them do it in a really challenging and engaging way some of them do it in a really irritating way where <laughs> they've 
if you don't uh, if you don't have the right strategy. And this is kind of like a good thing about it as well. So like if you don't have the right strategy to combat it, you just you just lose and you lose really yeah. easily. Um like <laughs> there's a boss fight in it where you fight Kyle, not as in like Kyle Brofflasky, his cousin Kyle. He gets upset. Oh, right, with the glasses and everything, yeah. <laughs> Sheila, Kyle's mom, comes in, gets really annoyed, and then basically every second turn is her turn. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, love, I love it when, like, turn-based uh, platformers do that. Like, the Steven Universe game had a lovely feature where, like, you could get bonus points if you did attacks and blocks, like, on the rhythm of the music that was playing. Mm. Which is such oh, a cool. Steven Universe specific thing. They're like, oh yeah, I love that kind of stuff. It rewards mm. kind of you're paying attention and that kind of stuff. Like that's class. Not like a Final Fantasy game where you can put the controller down and go make a cup of tea in mm. the middle of the most epic, important battle in the history of this planet ever, ever. Like, you know. Oh, it's it's the same reason I managed to play several hundred hours of Persona 5. It's because like they take the turn-based combat and they're like, Here's a whole like slew of other mechanics and interesting features and elemental attacks. And here's how you can chain six attacks together in a row and all to the funkiest jam soundtrack you've ever heard in your life. <laughs> That's and, so uh, Yeah, no, turn-based combat can't be the same again. Hey, whoops, we broke it because we made it too good. There's no going back. You have to make effort now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but effort. that... Uh, is actually going to be our show uh, this afternoon, guys. Um, it's a great show, uh, but before we go, is there anything uh, you boys would like to plug? Uh, Bryn, you first. Heavens no. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Then I will plug two things. Uh, my classes, my drama classes with uh, ADHD Ireland and All Abilities Ireland are back now. You can; They are on Zoom. You can find them via Eventbrite. They're going out on Fridays and Saturdays. There are classes for adults and classes for young kids. So if you're looking for, especially as we're looking down increasing uncertainty with outdoor events and that kind of stuff, if you're looking to make friends and kind of do fun things and that kind of stuff over the computer, you'll find it all there. And they're all run by me. And I mean, I wish I had someone with me to vouch for me, but they're great fun. Uh, so that's where you'll find me and as I'm also on Geek Ireland writing all the stuff there so that's me and as always you could follow me uh, at kevtalica94 on Twitter and find me over on youtube.com forward slash the Nancy crew uh, running my Greek mythology themed D&D campaign titled the Odyssey of this bish B-I-S-H we're on a five and uh, that will be it for us. Of course, uh, follow us on all our socials at Nerd Snow Media on, on all our socials and at nerdmedia.com. Uh, have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to a Nerd to Know Media production. <laughs>